You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. This is Hannibal here from the HannibalTV.com. This is a special Talking Tough episode where Rick Bassman, former UPW, the WWE developmental owner of that company, and he trained Sting in the Ultimate Warrior, the Miz, managed many MMA fighters, including Tank Abbott. This is a special show where Rick is going to talk about his experiences with both Tank Abbott and The Miz and his producer, John, from the two-man power trip of wrestling is going to join us later. How are you doing tonight, Rick? Man, I am doing good. Up here uh, on Maui, everything is good today. I'm looking off uh, over the um, camera because I simultaneously saw a large spider and a small gecko run across my wall right at the same exact time. But uh, it's, uh, man, everything's good here today. Thank you, Devin. How are you? It's uh, not as nice weather as I'm sure it is there in Maui, but I'm doing well otherwise. Uh, as for Tank and The Miz, who do you want to start with? Man, you know, we, we could definitely talk about either. Uh, I think this is a cool idea. I, I, I want to say something real quickly. I, I hope this isn't pimping too hard, and you'll probably let me know later if it is. But everybody out there, as you know, Hannibal is incredibly popular on social media, especially on YouTube. And Hannibal, Devin, has been great you know, bringing me along, coaching me along, helping build the audience. It's been slow coming. So an idea was, why don't we talk about two very popular people per, at a time that I helped get into the industry and really guided for you know, the, the fame they achieved. And maybe we'll build my social that way. So if you're watching, please subscribe to my YouTube YouTube as well. It's uh, youtube.com forward slash Rick Bassman. So, Devin, there's a shameless plug number one. I'm ready when you are, man. Well, people should subscribe to your channel. You're putting out a lot of content. You've had Luke Gallows on there, uh, Darren McBee, a good buddy of yours, Sting, so many. So help support him. And yeah, Jake, uh, Jake, Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, Boss Rutten, Don Fry, uh, the, the lit, uh, Rob Van Dam. The, the list goes on and on. They're all old friends. What I think has been cool about Talking Tough is, you know, especially with John Paws from Two Man Power Trip, we, we do talk fighting stories. We do talk wrestling stories. But we're getting like, I know all these guys are longtime friends and we're able to open up and get really, really deep about who they are as people and what motivates them and, and how they keep doing what they do. So it's been pretty awesome in that regard. So the first comment is someone commenting about Tank. So you may as well start with Tank. How did you first be become involved with him? For anyone that doesn't know, he was one of the UFC pioneers. He was on Friends. He was uh, in all sorts of MMA organizations. Well, yeah, Tank Abbott is, he might be, if he's not the most iconic guy in mixed martial arts history, he's one of them. He's the original prototype for what people thought the world's toughest guy was all about. Like, you know, the beer swilling, bar brawling Cretan. 
Um, and it turns out Tank is very much the opposite of that. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, Mike Hawk is saying Tank was a tough SOB. Man, what do you say to that other than, yeah, he was an incredibly tough guy and still is in his own way. He's like fighting for his life right now, quite literally, and doing it in a manner that, that truly shows how tough he is. What fights exactly, as we see John has joined us, your producer from uh, the two-man power trip of wrestling, the Pathmaster Talks podcast, which we posted a couple episodes on here now, and and many others. How are you doing, John? Very good. Very good. You cannot complain. Very, very busy, though. Very busy, for sure. What do you have What's to add about uh, Tank? Tank yeah, Abbott, what, what I want to know, Hannibal. Who the hell let this guy on here? But anyway, John, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, with Tank, the one thing that always struck me was his toughness. But when you really think about it, it's like he literally did not care if he won or lost. Like that is a weird thing for a fighter. And you really rarely see that nowadays. But he seemed like he just didn't care if he lost. I mean, it's just almost mind boggling. He wanted to put on a good fight, put on a good show. He wanted to kill somebody, it seemed like. But it just really seemed like he did not care if he lost or not, which is strange to me. Let, let me um let me tell you one story that kind of really really epitomizes what you just said, John. So I was going back and forth to London almost every month for a while with a main event fighter for Cage Rage. That was the big uh, UK promotion for a while, and I brought um I brought Dan Severin there and Kimo and Mark Kerr. Hey, De- uh, sorry, Herb Dean had his last fight there. I brought Herb for that. So got Bob Sapp booked to fight a local guy named Gary Turner, although Gary's very, very world-class. And Bob being Bob, you know him, kind of Bob sapped it, messed the deal up right at the end. <laughs> and the, uh, the the case, yeah, you know what I mean, man. Wow. Um, yep. That's the same guy who killed our $5 million a year deal at WWE that I had negotiated for him for half a year. But that's another, that's a whole other subject for another time. So the promoters, Dave O'Donnell is freaking out because he's built this entire house on Bob Sapp coming to cage rage. And he's like, what can we do? Who can we get? But really how many people can replace Bob Sapp? Cause Bob at that time was like monster, monster name. So I called, I said, how about tank Abbott? They go, if you could get tank, that would be a lifesaver. So I called tank. I was already in London. The fight was two days later and I asked him and he goes, well, how much? And I told him, I knew Tank's number, so I knew the number would work for him. I told him the number. He goes, okay, here's the deal. You've got to tell, you've got to almost word for word tell this to the promoters. I'm like, go ahead, Tank, I'm listening. And I know Tank, I'm like imagining what the hell is he going to say now? He's like, Rick, I'm at the bar. And I'm like, yeah, I figured you at the bar. That's usually where you live when you're not in the cage uh, or home asleep, as rare as that might be. He goes, I'm at the bar right now. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep drinking. He goes, until you call me back and say I'm fighting. He goes, but I'm still going to keep drinking. He goes, get my flight booked. He said, I'll get off the bar stool in t- just with enough time to go home and pack, get to the airport and make the flight. But then when I get there, I want somebody to pick me up, take me right to the hotel and walk me right into the bar. He goes, I'm going to sit there and keep drinking. Then when it's time to fight, he goes, just take me off the bar stool and take me to the fight. And he goes, win, lose, or draw, it's going to be an awesome 30 to 60 seconds. And that was Tank, man. That was like totally his attitude. And and the, the funny, not funny thing, the expected thing was 
He wasn't kidding. That's exactly what he did, man. We, I was already at the arena, but I was told later they took him off the bar stool right into Wembley Arena, and he charged Gary Turner like a house on fire, took him down, gassed out after about 45 seconds, and Gary won. But the audience went apeshit the entire time. It was like just vintage tank out of them. Is that common for fighters to, to fight under the influence in those days? No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, uh, there were, you know, used drinking heavily were a lot more rampant back in those days for pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, both. We, you know, we all know that. But, you know, at that same time, I also managed Mark Coleman and Mark Kerr, and these guys were Olympic caliber athletes. You know, I'm not saying they didn't do their share of imbibing because the world knows that they did. And I've witnessed a lot of that personally. Again, stories for different times. But Tank, Tank was a guy, you know, if he had a fight coming up and he had time to prepare, he would train for real. I have seen him do that. Other times he just didn't care. Uh, apart from that, I got to say, I cannot remember an instance where another fighter got in the ring or in the cage under the influence. That'd be the first. Yeah, there's another fighter that I know that you told me partied uh, all night the night before one of his big fights, but we won't get into him today. Okay, yeah, that I think I know what you mean, but we can do that another time. Absolutely. <laughs> and as for the Miz, of course, he started off in the the real world. That's where we first saw him in popular culture. Did he reach out to you before or after that? When did he start appearing in? UPW. Well, you know, what, what happened was I got a call one day from a guy named Scott Freeman. And Scott was a friend that uh, was one of the top guys in the reality TV business. He was the president of Buna Murray. And Buna Murray were the producers, creators and producers of the real world and road rules and all kinds of other big shows in those days. So Scott called and he goes, Rick, do you know any name pro wrestlers in New York? I said, I can't think offhand, but I'm sure I could come up with some. He goes, okay, that'd be great if you could, because he goes, we're doing the real world New York. We've got this guy in the house living here, and the guy thinks he's a pro wrestler. He's been terrorizing everybody else in the house all season long. He's created this name for himself called The Miz. That's his character. And it would be awesome for the season finale if we could send a famous pro wrestler to the house to turn the tables and scare the Miz. I'm like, okay, all right. Sounds like, a, you know, another day, another booking. That's fine. Uh, sent that's ECW was still hot back then. So of all the guys I could find, I found roadkill. We sent roadkill to the house. Roadkill apparently scared the piss out of Miz, knocked him around pretty good. Miz totally put it over and loved it. And then about, Six months later, I got a call from Scott Freeman again. Buna Murray, he goes, you remember that Miz guy that you set up roadkill for? Yep. He goes, well, he's moved to L.A. He wants to train pro wrestling for real. Can I send him by your school? We'll be glad to pay his tuition. Sure. Why not? And that's how we got started with the Miz. How was he as a person when you met him? Did he have an attitude or anything like that? Or was he willing to learn? You know, it's. That's a tough one. I, I don't, you know, I don't answer my questions politically. You know that, but he was actually it, it's more complicated than that because he was all those things at the same time. He was always a very, very nice guy, 
but he definitely brought and cooperative, but he definitely brought a little bit, not a little, a lot of that Miz character into our school with him. And, you know, UPW and the school ultimate university were, were very based on mutual respect and keeping it low key. And that just wasn't our style and it could rub you the wrong way for sure. So we did, um, we would do practice shows every week at the school. Once guys, you know, were at the point and women got to the point where they maybe could do a match. We did these things called light shows, like L I T E, you know, like UPW light, um, no production. The ring announcer would yell cause we didn't have a microphone. We just do it in the gym and Miz was being Miz. So we did something really, really old school to him. And I hate to say, it cause I feel really bad about it these days. We were not the kind of school that was about like roughing people up for sure or teaching lessons because my philosophy was always that it's hard enough as it is without, you know, intentionally causing grief to somebody. But this is the but. It was a rare exception for us. We put the Miz in a match with Sylvester Turkai, you know, six foot, six inch, 325 pound NAA uh, Division One wrestling champion and told Sylvester to light him up. And Sylvester lit him up after the match. Miz came up to me. He's like, man, he goes, I get it. Got the message. And that whole Miz character disappeared, except for when he was on stage from that time on. I see, John. Uh, I stopped rest watching wrestling by the time Miz was in WWE. What are your thoughts on how he's done over the years? I actually think he's actually pretty underrated, to be honest. I feel like maybe when he won the world championship at WrestleMania 27 from Cena, that was like bad timing. He wasn't ready at that point. But years later, he was definitely ready. He was definitely really good. I felt like he went through a lot in, in the WB, and he recently was on uh, Talking Smack with Big E, and it got real because Big E was talking about how Kofi had such a tough run through the WWE, even though he really didn't. Miz actually had a really, really rough go at it through WWE. I mean, they put him in there with Pewter thinking that Pewter was going to kill him. I know Rick has a good story about that. Uh, thinking Pewter was going to kill him, knock his block up. JBL used to terrorize him behind the scenes. Shawn Michaels and Triple H used to bully him around. I mean, he got destroyed because he was this reality star coming into WWE. I know him and uh, Daniel Bryan had the, had their issues, which they turned into a great storyline. And, and and now, you know, they have, they have great chemistry in their matches and have had great chemistry in their matches ever since the feud started but i really think that miz has become one of the better guys i feel like underutilized they don't do the right thing with him on smackdown he should probably be more towards the main event than this kind of mid-card jokey tag team heel nonsense that they go get going on with morrison i think he carries himself like a star i think he is great on his reality show i think it's unbelievable that uh, you know he got maurice who's a you know beautiful woman it just shows like man this guy is a star He's a likable guy. He's great on that that uh, reality show on USA, Wipeout or whatever the hell it's called, um, Cannonball, I think it is. I mean, he's just he is a great, charismatic guy who turned into a good wrestler and a good worker. I think. What is that story about Miz and Pewter, Rick? That uh, that John's talking about? Yeah, you know, at this point, you know, Miz was at. This is now way after the Sylvester Turkai incident. Uh, Miz has now gotten, you know, to the point where he's a mainstay for us. It wasn't long after we booked a show. I think it was in Vegas at um, Buffalo Bills. I'm pretty sure that was at Casino. 
And we had a bunch of guys in for that show, Rikishi, Conan, Dallas Page. And I remember Page saying to me, that guy's going to be a star. And that's the first time I really ever heard that about Miz or looked at him that way or thought of him that way. So, you know, we, we pushed to get him seen by Tough Enough. He got booked and he did great. And all of a sudden we hear they're going to do these shoot fights. And I knew Daniel at this point. Daniel had been coming to UPW shows as a guest. And he got Daniel's a real deal. He was 8-0 and as a uh, mixed martial artist, Daniel Pewter. He almost fought Tank once. That's a story to remind me of in a minute, um, Daniel and Tank. Um, we The shoot fight was announced with almost no notice at all. So I called up my partner in my mixed martial arts company, Valor Fighting. My partner is Eddie Millis from the world-famous Shark Tank. I'm like, Eddie, we're sending you this guy. We have two days. Do whatever you can with him in two days to make sure he doesn't get killed in this fight. And Miz went in trained his ass off by all accounts for two days. And I thought made a pretty good uh, showing for himself with uh, no real fight training against Daniel Pewter on almost no notice. So good for him, man. And before we talk about that Pewter versus Tank Abbott that never happened, uh, someone on there was asking if you could confirm if Tank's five to 600 pound bench presses were legit. Exhumed corpse six six six. That sounds like somebody we want to know. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a great name. Um, yes. A very very legit. He is, was absolutely one of the strongest human beings that uh, that I've ever seen lift in person. Absolutely. Now I don't know about this. John might know more about this than me. But Rick Brooks is asking if you think the Miz is greatest achievement in wrestling was being ranked the number one wrestler of 2011. John, can I take that one? Sure. Yeah. He's probably referring to PWI, I would think. All right. I, I I, so. You, okay. So I think that's great. I mean, that's really cool. You and I, we all know that that's a little bit of a work, the PWI thing. I mean, you're not going to be number one unless you're way up there. But so I, I'm going to say Rick Brooks respectfully. No, it's a good question. I think the Miz's greatest achievement is his longevity because here was a guy, keep in mind, he started in the day when your prototypical guy was still the prototype, John Cena, guys that looked like that, Sean O'Hare, you know, who came from us, Luther Reigns, so on and so forth. The Miz was not the type of guy they were looking for back then. Nobody thought he really had the goods to go for a long time. And I think his greatest achievement is his overall body of work that he's managed to be such a big star consistently for so many years. So that would be my answer to that. And what about that Miz versus Tank Abbott match that John brought up? Or sorry, not Miz versus Tank Peter. Abbott. Peter. Peter. Yeah, Miz and Tank would not have been good, I don't think. <laughs> that would probably not be a good fight. Um, Daniel had a promotion, Daniel Pewter, that he was putting together. And it was a big money deal. I think it was backed by Alki David, the billionaire guy who gets involved like a celebrity boxing and does all kinds of wacky stuff. And there was a press conference held at this really fancy like nightclub sports bar in Beverly Hills. And I had at uh, Daniel's request reached out and got Tank to agree to fight Daniel in the main event. And we all went to the press conference. There were, got some great 
photos from it. I should share them because there was a top level pro photographer there that day that set up a studio in the place. Got a great photo of Tank with my dog, Ramon, stuff like that. Um, anyway, they do the press conference. As soon as it ends, Tank walks up to me and he looks at me. He goes, he's not going to fight me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, he's scared. He's not going to fight me. And the fight didn't come off. I don't know if that was a reason why, but uh, Tank was right. The fight didn't happen. That would have been an interesting one for sure. Rick, I got a question for you. A uh, longstanding uh, rumor, Meltzer has said it as well. Tank's sexual proclivities, it, he's what, – what are they basically? <laughs> Um, Meltzer, what has Meltzer said? Let me let me get some more info on that before I answer. Uh, I've actually heard Meltzer now possibly bisexual saying that. Yeah, he he said he witnessed some stuff that uh, led him to believe that. But all right, all right. Well, let, let let me um let me throw this out there first before I get into that. What do you think Meltzer's sexual proclivities are? That guy's pretty weird, man. <laughs> he is married with two kids, though. He, they, yeah, but that doesn't really answer the question, does it, John? <laughs> but, all right. That's all right. Um, okay, so I do not have – I have nothing good. I don't have a firsthand answer other than to say many people, myself included, oftentimes suspected that he – Tank, in fact, was or is bisexual – I don't know why we had that impression. I can't point to a particular incident or more, but we always had that impression. That's all I can say. And I wonder why Dave knows that. We should find out why Dave Meltzer. I, I heard the story out of respect for Tank. I'm not going to repeat Dave's story, but Dave told the story within the past year. But okay. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to repeat it because I don't know. I don't have enough proof, and I don't want to really throw flames on that but it's interesting to get your perspective yeah i don't know just i don't know man pwc 24 7 uh has a comment about Meltzer. i don't know if you could see that i see it Meltzer yeah. is in the closet with the young bucks okay well he did you know kiss i don't really do you remember know that show that. do you remember that show didn't he, didn't he kiss them at a show where they kissed him or something at, at a pwg show years ago that <laughs> kissed him on the cheek or something who Meltzer kissed him at a show the Bucks kissed him or vice versa. Didn't that happen at a PWG show a few years ago? I, I don't know, but I, I definitely see a quick theme change here about Meltzer and his proclivities. <laughs> um, I, dude, I don't I don't know. Uh, I can't answer that question either. I don't really know Matt and Nick. I think I met them once when they actually did a tryout for a show that we were doing many years ago. I know they're married and have kids. They seem like solid family guys, so I don't know. Couldn't tell you. The only thing I can tell you for sure is their their wrestling observer does have some good information, but they're incredibly biased towards AEW to the point where it's brutal to listen to at times. You know, you know what I'm loving about this show today? Now I see Jeff Jefferson E. White saying Meltzer is head over heels in love with Omega. Okay, so we started talking tough, John, what about five months ago now? Mm -hmm. And We've had some very, very heavy, heavyweight guests on this show. We've gotten super deep into some really serious, heavy stuff that guests like Boss Rutten and Don Fry and RVD and Jake Roberts have never talked about before. We know that. Then we went, we did this event called Be Good, and we did a live stream with Butterbean and Boss Rutten and Sting and Lou Ferrigno all at the same time. Pretty notable stuff. 
Then Jim Cornette came after me and challenged me and attacked or attacked me. So I challenged him back through Hannibal. We got thousands and thousands of views and comments. And I got to tell you, I got to be really honest. All through this, I have chased Dave Meltzer very hard to cover any of this stuff, but not one single word. I mean, he used to call me one, two, three times a week in the UPW days back when he needed me, I guess. I don't know. So maybe now that we're talking about Meltzer in this whole new light, maybe now I'll finally hear from him. Who knows? And yeah, there's a lot of people that are that are buying wrestling and MMA. I'm well aware of that. Not everyone's out of the uh, closet. I'm not holding it against them, by the way, just to say that on oh. the record. It's just interesting about that rumor about Tank uh, because he doesn't seem like the type, but people have said it for whatever reason. He is married, too, by the way, to a beautiful oh, yeah. woman. He's outdone himself. Oh, she's great. Sally is awesome. Yeah. yeah his, yep. M Mrs. Tank is really, really good people. Yes. And they have a, they got an awesome, solid relationship also. Very, very mutually supportive. They just moved to Arizona too. They got out of Huntington Beach, I guess, probably because Tito's running for office there. They want to <laughs> get that started. <laughs> oh, well, here's, here's something, a good question for Rick. There's a lot of heat between Tank and Tito. Who do you think is more legitimate? Like, do you think Tank has legitimate reasons to have heat with Tito? He says a lot of stuff about Tito. Yeah, it's just, you know, Tank doesn't love Tito as, as a human being or a public figure. I used to represent Tito as well. And we can talk about that another time. Like that, if you remember that big accusation against Tito when he apparently attacked Jenna Jameson, uh, myself and Tom Howard were the ones that bailed Tito out of jail that day. We organized a press conference, got the lawyer, everything that kept, you know, kept him alive, so to speak. So I have a lot of history with Tito as well. Uh, I, I only saw them together once. My, I was representing Tank and Kimo at the same time. And we flew to Hawaii for Rumble on the Rocks, all on different flights. But we ended up in a limo, me and my wife, Gabrielle. Tank, Kimo, and Tito. That was it, just the five of us. And none of those guys liked any of the others at that point in time. And talk about just like a tense, frosty ride, man. It was really weird. Um, my wife, who's like this nice conservative Catholic girl, is now in this limo with Tank Abbott and Kimo and Tito Ortiz, who are all shooting daggers at one another. Um, you know, Legit reason behind it. I just know Tank's not a fan of Tito's politics, man, and uh, he's not afraid of uh, talking about it, as you as you mentioned, Devin. And the last thing I'll, I'll bring up, I don't know if John has some more to add about uh, Tank and uh, the Miz before we close up here. Is I brought up that some fans were were telling me there may have been some heat between you and XPW back when XPW was trying to be the new ECW taking over LA and you had UPW at the time. I was suggesting that for a whole talk, but you said there's nothing really to talk about. That's an exaggerated situation. You didn't really. Yeah, there, there, there's really not. I mean, there, there was a point in time in the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, where the Southern California indie scene was hot or as hot as an indie scene could be. There were a ton of little companies and UPW and XPW, my company and Rob Black's company, were both RBs, 
were absolutely the top two with number three being, I think probably was PWG, way beneath us at that point, if you can imagine that. Um, so I, I think that the internet kind of made a feud out of it where one didn't exist. I mean, we didn't use the same talent. We didn't do the same type of wrestling. We didn't go into the same venues. The only time I ever really remember my guys and his guys being in the same building was when Paul Heyman brought ECW into Los Angeles and myself and my guys were all invited guests and we're backstage meeting everybody. That's the night I met Nova the first time who became one of my best friends, not only in the business, but anywhere. And Rob Black and ECW or an XPW basically did like a backstage run it. They weren't supposed to be there. And they got the shit beat out of them by the ECW guys. Well, we just kind of stood around and witnessed it. That's all there is to it, Devin. No more than that, man. Is there anything you wanted to add about the Miz or Tank there, John, as we close up here? I just want to mention somebody, I don't remember who, but somebody made a comment that Tank has a lot of losses for a tough guy. But I don't think toughness has to do with wins and losses. I think that it has to do with, you know, your mental toughness and physical toughness. You may lose and you may be tough. I mean, I've seen guys win. They're not really that tough, either, either lucky or maybe they had good technique that night. Tank, to me, is just tough because he loves to fight. He doesn't care if he gets hurt. He said it a million times. They'll both end up injured and the other guy will end up in the hospital. He'll end up in the bar, meaning that he's going to get hurt. He doesn't give a shit if he gets hurt and he's just going to go out to the bar and drink it off. The other guy's going to end up in the hospital. So, I mean, that, that's just one of the things to me I always like thought, man, he, he's just tough and wins and losses don't necessarily matter in, in losses. And toughness is definitely kind of supersedes a lot of that. Well, and, and for Tank, it, the losses didn't matter because he, didn't he was an icon for the type of character that he was that you just described so well. Um, hey, the, the, the one quick thing I want to mention, uh, Devin, is this. Both these guys, in my book, Little Big Man, I have this section called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly of Pro Wrestling and Mixed Martial Arts. And, you know, I have a list of my guys who are not on my happy list. But the good side, Miz and Tank are both on that side. They're very, very different people, but they're two very good guys. Even though Tank absolutely was a tough guy with the attitude you just described, John, he's a super, the opposite of what you probably think as a person, super intelligent responsible, responsive. Devin, you've worked with him. You know, he's a professional as well. Um, they're both really good guys. Um, I, you know, always saying prayers for Tank as he, you know, continues to encounter and, and fight the battles he's fighting with his health. I think he's going to come out of it great because that's just his character. And the Miz, I'm super happy for his success. He's a good guy and he deserves it. And there was a fan here. I don't know if you know about this, but was Tank training Tito for underground fights at one point? You know, I, I, there was a fight in Long Beach back in the day where Sean O'Hare actually had his first fight, fought a guy named Tony Towers, who was one of Tito's guys, a six foot nine inch Tony Towers. Sean O'Hare wrecked him, by the way. Um, you know, there was always these rumors with this guy named Kaja, who was a first promoter in California before the state commission licensed it about all these underground fights. My good buddy Maverick, the soul collector came from that world, but dude, Devin, I don't think that stuff existed. And if it really did, oddly, I, I don't know about it. Very good. And someone is asking that there was a match with tank and Goldberg 
that never happened. Do you think Tank would have cared that he never got a chance against Goldberg? Or he would not care at all. No, no. Yeah. Pro they, wrestled, they wrestled though. Goldberg. They, this guy's wrong then. I believe so on WCW, and I remember Goldberg beat him pretty quickly. I think it was a short oh. match. I believe. I'll uh, I'll double check. I'll double check the memory bank, but I'm pretty sure Goldberg beats uh, Tank. I think it was almost like a throwaway on a Nitro because they were building it up, and, and you thought it was going to be this big thing in 2000, and they kind of ended it quickly. I think Goldberg beats him, and then I think right after that, Goldberg actually turns heel inexplicably, which kind of didn't make sense. Oh, they that's too bad. That would have been a good program how they pushed it. Uh, Devin, I know we're trying to wrap up. One, one thing I thought I'd mention, I didn't even put it on my list, but I'll bet this is something that even John Paz doesn't know because John Paz knows everything about pro wrestling. John, do you know that Tank was actually booked to fight Bart Gunn at WrestleMania before Butterbean stepped in? The only reason I know that is because you mentioned that to me months ago. You mentioned oh. that because we were talking about Bart Gunn, and I said, oh, I, I got to find Bart Gunn. You're like, you know, he actually almost fought Tank. So that is interesting. How come Tank, it didn't happen for Tank and it happened for Butterbean? Well, you know, I, I negotiated Tank's deal for him, and he originally said, yes, I'm interested. And at the end of and I communicated that back to WWF at the time, of course, and at the end of the day, it didn't work out because the dollars and the cents. Um, I never knew Tank to be unreasonable when it came to purses. He's a businessman. He always had a good sense of his value. And he didn't feel that the offer was right. So uh, he uh, politely declined. And the Butterbean stepped in. And the rest is history, as they say. Interesting. That would have been uh, very interesting to see if that would have changed the course of history. If Tank had actually fought Bart Gunn that night, but we all it, know what happened. <laughs> yeah, we do. It sure could have. Yes. So, of course, John, you've got a million podcasts. Do you want to tell everyone where they can tune into them to get more of that wealth of your knowledge about the business of professional wrestling? So you can just go to my Twitter and my Instagram at two man power trip. You can check out the website, TMPT empire.com. That's two man power trip of wrestling empire. So TMPT empire.com. We have taskmaster talks with Kevin Sullivan. We've got talking tough with Rick Bassman. We've got, um, taking to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard university of Dutch with Dutch Mantel triple threat podcast with Shane Douglas Trump Mania with uh, Lavi Margolin, who wrote the Trump book, and then Pro Wrestling 101 with Just Incredible. Got a lot of stuff going on. And as Rick previously mentioned, he has a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Rick Bassman, for anyone that wants to subscribe. I'll slip this one quick question in from Grin and Barrett. Do you believe Butterbean was as tough as Tank? Man, that kind of goes to your definition of what of what tough is, right? Um, Bean is the same as Tank, and Butterbean is one of my best friends on this planet still to this day. So I know him really, really well. Um, Bean is like Tank. Um, they were actually booked to fight each other too. They were in a headline in the Staples Center. This will sound like total BS, but Tom Loeffler, who was the Klitschko's promoter, had come to me. We partnered on an event for Tank and Butterbean to fight at the Staples Center in the main event. I actually have the photos of the face-off still, which me with me in between them didn't happen for various reasons. They're both incredibly tough guys. Bean had that same 
you know, anybody, anywhere, anytime attitude that Tank did. And like Tank, never, ever laid down once the going got tough. So I, I would say they're pretty darn equal. By the way, I just checked. I was right. Goldberg beats uh, Tank in two minutes on Monday Nitro. And then the next pay-per-view, he turns heel. So I was right. I, I, I thought yeah. so. I knew it wasn't crazy. Of, so two-minute match, sure. Goldberg squashed him. Yeah. It's much better that that was a two-minute match. <laughs> yeah, I don't Hell know if it would have been good if it went longer. Uh, one of your listeners is saying that Goldberg could destroy Gilberg. I don't know about that. What do you think, John? <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. I don't right know. I still don't understand how Chris Jericho somehow allegedly got the better of Goldberg for all the all the training Goldberg says that he's done over the years. Well, Jericho did admit, though, Goldberg never fought back because he didn't want to get in trouble. So it was one of those things where Jericho kind of was doing all offensive stuff to Goldberg, and Goldberg just sat there and took it and didn't fight back. So I think Jericho does actually admit that he kind of gets the win by default, but Goldberg wasn't fighting back. I see. Any final thoughts, guys, that you want to wrap this up with? I'll let you guys have the floor here. Do you think um, Do you think Melzer could take Gilbert? Yeah, no. Melter's jacked. No, no Melter's jacked. Right. <laughs> He's never been in a real fight, I don't think. And Gilbert no. at least has some toughness from being an enhancement <laughs> guy all those years. All right, everybody, you heard it here first. Hannibal says Gilbert could beat up Dave Meltzer. You heard it right here. But not Brian Alvarez. Alvarez would kill Gilbert. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.